This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to the My Mind Mind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I'm really excited for the discussion today with Beth Warren. And Beth really walks us through understanding what trauma in the reproductive period can be, what it can look like, and ways that you might be able to recognize it for yourself. And, you know, it's difficult because sometimes we think we would know what is going on with us if something were to be happening to our mental health, if our stress were that high that we had a diagnosis of PTSD. But the reality is, is that sometimes it's hard to know what's going on when you're in it. So she walks us through the difference between trauma and PTSD and also talks about some of the other ways that trauma can show up in the reproductive period. And that includes ways that it can impact the individual, but also partnerships, also other family members, and even attachment and bonding. And what's really important too is that she shares with us that there are ways to heal. And that is a lot of what her book aims to do is show people what can happen during this time, be able to recognize it for yourself, and also find ways to get better. Beth has previously joined me on three other episodes, number 15 on postpartum OCD, number 107 EMDR for perinatal mental health, and episode 216 understanding attachment and bonding. And I want to refer you to those episodes because she also touches on a couple of those topics as we walk through our conversation together. Bethany Warren is a psychotherapist in private practice in San Diego, California, and has worked in reproductive mental health for 25 years. She has authored the books, The Pregnancy and Postpartum Mood Workbook, and then her newest book, Healing from Reproductive Trauma. She is certified in EMDR therapy and perinatal mental health, specializing in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, birth and reproductive trauma, pregnancy loss, and infertility, and is an EMDRIA-approved consultant and facilitates EMDR trainings. She is a current member and previously served as the president of the board of the Postpartum Health Alliance. So let's get into it and hear from Beth. Welcome back, Beth. I'm so happy to have you on again. I love talking with you and I love your brain and how it works and all of the things that you do with it, especially for our perinatal world. So thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for having me. We are having like a brain play date, aren't we? I love <laughs> being with you. I love chatting with you. I love you. I love oh, your podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for that. You're just such a cool person. And I really admire all of the work that you do and how much you bring into this specialty. Not only having written one book already, but now another one that both the help seekers and the help providers, I suppose, if you mm -hmm. want. Um, it's so needed too, especially to have something that is just tangible, usable, and, you know, Beth language. 
Thanks, lady. Oh, that's the highest praise coming from you, too. You're always so creative. And with everything that you created through Mom and Mind and your online course. So thank you. Wow. I'm glad well, to be here. Love Fest. Love Fest. <laughs> if anyone's still listening, if we anyone's, love each yeah. other. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, you are really doing a lot in the trauma world, especially for, for reproductive trauma which is obviously what the new book is healing from reproductive trauma. And like I said before this, our discussion hearing from you is needed, but also there's so much that people don't know about trauma, let alone reproductive trauma for so many different reasons. So I think there's some really good points that you wanted to highlight and outline in our talk today. So I want to go through a lot of that and then Bob and weave and have all of our other points brought in. So the first distinction, differentiation, I guess, that I would love for you to expand on is trauma versus PTSD, post-traumatic mm. stress disorder. Yeah. And I mean, that there's so much to understand in there, but you know, for people who are listening now, I guess people who aren't clinicians, it's unless you're kind of in this world, you might not know the difference or that there even is a difference. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great question and a great distinction that's actually really important. Some people don't even identify with the word trauma. They just know that they feel off after going through something distressing. Or again, they might not even identify it as having been distressing at the time, mm -hmm. but later looking back might recognize how difficult that was or that they were really just gritting their teeth to get through it. But all they know is that now they've really felt that crash and burn kind of experience and that they're having a really hard time coping. Mm -hmm. So they might not identify with the word trauma, although, of course, the word trauma is getting much more used, especially in social media, even mm -hmm. in like movies and TVs. But the interesting thing is that's actually very different than PTSD. Mm -hmm. In other words, you don't have to have a full diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder in order to have gone through something traumatic. Your experience matters and you can receive healing. You can experience change and growth after your experience, mm -hmm. even if you don't have a PTSD diagnosis. And some of the nerdy stuff I love to share with people is stats. And the stats really show this to be the case. So mm -hmm. after um, early COVID, we saw PTSD numbers rise. But pre-COVID, we saw about one out of nine women or so would experience perinatal PTSD. And yet 9% of women experienced PTSD in the perinatal period, mm -hmm. but one out of three women would report her birth to be traumatic. So that was a big discrepancy right there. We had 9% experiencing perinatal, full perinatal PTSD symptoms, typically mm -hmm. in the studies. Mm -hmm. And yet around 30% were experiencing or reporting a traumatic birth experience. So that just goes to show you that there can be a discrepancy in what can be felt and experienced versus what is often reported in terms mm -hmm. of symptoms and what is experienced in terms of symptoms. So I always like to kind of shout that from the rooftops is you do not have to have full PTSD symptoms in order to receive healing or benefit from therapy, for example. A lot of parents will have what we call subsyndromal symptoms, which means you might have some, but not all of the symptoms of PTSD, but you still might have gone through something traumatic. So they don't have to match up, for lack of a better word. They're not the exact same thing. I think over time, and especially when people think of like war veterans, they always think of PTSD. And that's not always the case. Trauma doesn't equal PTSD. It's kind of like a logic puzzle. Okay. <laughs> Those right. who have PTSD have experienced trauma. Those mm -hmm. who have trauma don't always experience PTSD, but yet mm -hmm. can still benefit from healing. That's a really helpful distinction. And it, there was a couple points in there that you mentioned that I want to come back to. One is the use and maybe overuse of the word trauma to encapsulate more than I guess that it was intended for. And I'm curious what your read is on that, or if you've seen 
the impact of that on anybody that you're working with? Yeah, I have two minds on that. I mean, one, I think pop culture, pop psychology, psychological terms do get often misused. Think of how often people say things like, I'm so OCD, when really Mm -hmm. what they mean is they love organization or they like Mm -hmm. things a certain way. Mm -hmm. And what that does, unfortunately, is it really waters down a a true OCD diagnosis and people Mm -hmm. that are um, suffering from OCD. I always like to say, if you like organization, it ain't OCD. But the same kind of thing with trauma is, you know, it can get thrown around a lot of like, you know, oh, that was so traumatic when in fact, they might be actually overinflating something, you know, just for dramatic effect. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one mind that I have is that it might, this term might get misused a lot. Mm-hmm. And yet my other mind on that is trauma is very subjective. Mm-hmm. And I am a strong advocate for believing women, believing survivors and if someone says something was traumatic for them, it was traumatic for them. Absolutely. The subjective nature of trauma is such that someone may have gone through traumatic infertility procedures, for example, and then have a happy, healthy baby. And people might say things that are very invalidating or dismissing to them mm-hmm. of like, yeah, but you have a baby, you know, mm-hmm. that does not take away their traumatic experiences that they had along the way. Or let's take birth as an example, birth trauma, if they might have not actually experienced a physical birth, traumatic birth, in other words, that they had like a on paper, what looked like a pretty standardized vaginal birth, happy, healthy baby, Mm -hmm. but during it felt very overpowered or coerced into things. And as a result, looking back, feel very ashamed or Mm -hmm. again, very, I'll say the word traumatized. Mm -hmm. And so that's where trauma can be very subjective. So it is in the eye of the beholder Mm -hmm. and up to an individual to share with us whether or not they feel traumatized. Because I've had the both experiences where you know, a a client has been sharing with me their experience. And in my mind, I'm not saying it out loud, I might be thinking, oh, gosh, that sounds horrifically traumatic. But Mm -hmm. I'm hearing them say, and man, I feel like such a badass and listen to what I went through. And can (laughs) Mm -hmm. you believe that? And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go off their cues and and how they've interpreted this experience. And then Mm -hmm. certainly the opposite is true, too, where Mm -hmm. people are having experiences where again, on paper, or maybe per their provider, they quote, shouldn't have Mm -hmm. (laughs) the emotional reaction they are. I'm not saying that, but they are, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for going into that. It's so real and so true. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people whose experience are diminished and minimized in any number of ways. And there's so much history just around women's health and women's reproductive health in general, where women aren't believed and haven't been believed about their experience or their pain and and whatnot. So yeah, thank you for attending to those points about believing the person whose experience it is. It's so important. Yeah. As an aside, when you had Eleanor Clayhorn on to -hmm. talk about unwell women this year, oh, Mm -hmm. that was such a powerful episode. I've recommended that book to so many people. Right, right. It's so good. She's writing another book on motherhood. Oh, is she? Yeah, I'm excited to see see it when it comes out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Also, for people who are listening, how might they know that they are maybe dealing with symptoms of PTSD? Can you just run through like some of the, I guess, or some symptoms of PTSD so that people can listen for that and kind of know if that's something they either might be going through now, or even if it was years ago, something that they've been through. I love that you bring up that it could have been years ago because there can be a quote, delayed onset of symptoms that Mm -hmm. can happen even months down the road, Mm -hmm. but also that when untreated, PTSD can last and linger and go on and on and on. And I've treated women whose reproductive trauma was even decades ago, and they have found healing. So it is never, ever, ever too late. So I'm so grateful you brought up that aspect. But yeah, with PTSD, some of the big indicators are when there is a negative affect and negative belief that often comes with the distressing event. Oftentimes it's self 
blame, mm-hmm. a belief that one has either caused or contributed to the event. This is where we'll often hear women or dads say things like, you know, I'm responsible. It's my fault. I should have asked for a C-section sooner, or I was quiet for way too long. Like it's my fault that I didn't speak up. Mm-hmm. I'm broken. I'm defective. Or even a feeling like they, I'm still unsafe now, even mm. though the event was X number of days, months, you know, uh, previous that I'm still unsafe or the baby is still unsafe now. It's an extension mm-hmm. of me. So there's often that negative belief, a connection and usually big emotions tied to it. There's a big overlap between PTSD and rage and irritability, mm. anxiety, oftentimes a lot of sadness, tearfulness, depression. There is also a, a big kind of Venn diagram overlap between PTSD and OCD. You might see people become mm-hmm. really hypervigilant mm-hmm. and start doing a quite compulsive checking of their baby, for example. So those symptoms can come from a PTSD cluster. There can be disassociation. You might feel disassociated from your body. Mm-hmm. Like my body does not even feel real. Now mm-hmm. I want to distinguish this from or differentiate this from how most everyone recognizes that their body is different during pregnancy and when becoming a parent and even just looking at one's body can be distressing at times Mm -hmm. or a lot of times, just that adjustment into parenthood. This is feeling actually disconnected, looking in the mirror, not recognizing yourself, touching parts of your body might feel completely uncomfortable or not even possible. You might feel overtouched, overstimulated, you might have always dreamed of using a baby wrap, but actually can't tolerate baby wearing or breast and chest feeding doesn't feel tolerable because you feel so activated. Mm-hmm. So dissociation, floating away, losing time kind of aspects can come with PTSD as well. Flashbacks can occur. Now, people oftentimes think of flashbacks. Again, I reference veterans. People often think of them as like big events where you are fully losing awareness that you are present and it might be a big reaction. It also can be that you are having a big emotional reaction, but that you still know that you are where you are. Mm -hmm. I still know that I'm in the nursery with my baby, but Mm -hmm. heart rate is racing and I don't know what just set me off, but I feel like I am in danger Logically, I know I'm not in danger, but holy moly, do I feel Mm -hmm. like there's a bear kicking the door down, you know, Mm -hmm. that can also be a part of PTSD as well. And one of the most important things to talk about PTSD that I think often gets overlooked is that it can be when you have gone through it yourself, or you have witnessed going someone going through it. Mm. So we see partners with PTSD after traumatic births, after Mm -hmm. pregnancy complications, Mm -hmm. postpartum complications, like Mm -hmm. when people hemorrhage afterwards, during traumatic losses, etc. That partners can experience PTSD as well. It doesn't have to just be the person that went through it themselves. Loved ones can have that secondary traumatization as well. Absolutely. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. 
Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're aiming more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. It's very useful to walk through some of the symptoms and some of what people's experiences might be. Because if, and this is true for a lot of mood changes, is if if you don't know what it is, you don't know what it is. And so it can be hard to recognize it. Just you feel bad. You feel terrible. You judge yourself. Yes. You like the experience is, is as if something's wrong with you. And it often doesn't occur to somebody to say to themselves, oh, this, I went through this thing. So I'm probably affected by that. Cause right. When you're living in sort of in your experience and through your trauma experience, it is really hard to recognize that your feelings are as a result of that, not just some thing that totally. you did wrong or so you're, you're having to now deal with some way that you are a bad or wrong or however it might feel internally. Yeah, that's so well said. And especially if you're not identifying what you went through, it's traumatic. Mm-hmm. Or if you're experiencing these symptoms way later on, mm-hmm. I see this a lot with NICU parents mm-hmm. who might start feeling this way after the baby comes home is when they start crashing and burning. It's almost like their nervous system now gives them permission to fall Mm -hmm. apart or Mm -hmm. permission to fully now feel all the feels. It's like the nervous system now knows like I quote should be feeling better, but I'm not. And so Mm -hmm. survival mode can only last so long. I can't keep holding this, you know, fight, flight, freeze, spawn response anymore. Or you'll see this sometimes after women have gone through infertility procedure after infertility, and then that cumulative response just crashes and burns or folks who've had losses just keep pushing through. And then once they have that baby, then experience. So yeah, you're so right that it might be very confusing, but why am I feeling this way? Mm-hmm. Or if they're comparing themselves to others, but mine isn't that bad. So mm-hmm. why, mm-hmm. why am I? Oh, it's such a trap. Oh, it, such it feels a trap. Ter- feels terrible. Yeah. So you have touched on a lot of different things related to the perinatal period of things that might be traumatizing for people or result in a full PTSD diagnosis. But if we can go through that with a little bit more deeply understanding what the different types, I guess, if you want of trauma or different things that people can experience during their reproductive period. Yeah. I really like to honor that people can experience traumatic or distressing events all throughout the perinatal journey. Birth trauma tends to be the one that is, I think, focused on the most in social Mm -hmm. media, maybe has the most compassion and validation from providers. And yet that is so important that we talk about that. And yet so important that we also highlight that trauma is cumulative. Someone might go through a traumatic birth experience and also had pregnancy complications or went through infertility or prior losses, there can be these compounding effects. But also someone who did not have a traumatic birth experience doesn't identify with that terminology of birth trauma, but yet Mm -hmm. they may have had a postpartum complication or Mm -hmm. a near-death experience during their birth or et cetera, you know. Mm -hmm. So it is, I think, important just to honor these distressing events and these touchstone moments can happen all throughout, touchpoint moments can happen all throughout from trying to conceive, fertility challenges, actual infertility procedures, pregnancy complications, as I've mentioned, losses all throughout from Mm -hmm. early losses, chemical pregnancies, ectopic pregnancies, miscarriages, stillbirths, all the way throughout to infant loss and stillbirths. 
and postpartum complications, events happening with the baby in terms of needing emergency interventions, mm-hmm. or I was mentioning like NICU uh, mm-hmm. parents and beyond. And so, you know, I always like personally using the term reproductive trauma, even though that might not, again, capture what someone else identifies as their experience with, and that's a-okay. I always like to honor however people are describing their experience. I certainly don't say, no, no, this is what your experience is. That that even feels gross to joke about. It's more just trying to honor that there can be these experiences all throughout. Yeah. I'm glad you highlighted that birth trauma is given uh, the most attention and deserved attention, but right there, I think it's it would also do a disservice to people who've experienced other type of trauma in the reproductive period if, if yeah. they, you know, and further potentially minimize their experience as not traumatic or not PTSD, if that's what the diagnosis is, diagnostic yeah. criteria is met, all that stuff. Because um, they're, again, like touching back on how much women's experiences and people's birthing people's experience people who've been pregnant anywhere in the reproductive period that really anywhere along the way you could be dismissed. And it's really hard, I think, for people to not take that minimization or being dismissed personally, or as that there's some truth in it. It just because somebody is telling you they don't believe your experience or they don't think it's as bad as it was. It doesn't mean they are right. Yes. Like you're experience is real and true, as you said before, but it's, I don't know, unfortunately from what, where I sit and what I hear is more often people's experiences are minimized and agreed. And now we're also dealing with like the insult to the injury. There's just, it can become really layered. Yes. They went through this initial incident or incidents because Mm -hmm. it can be very layered and multi-layered. And then if their provider and or loved ones are then minimizing of it, Mm. then it can just, you're so right. That is so well said, that insult to injury. And then imagine if that's not the first time that's happened to that person. Mm -hmm. Imagine if as a little child, that person was often told they're too sensitive Mm -hmm. and they make too much of things, then it's like their little nerve system lights up like, oh, here this is again. So maybe I am making too much of this. My doctor said that really that those are common responses or that's a common thing that I went through. So maybe I shouldn't be having the feeling I'm having. Or Mm -hmm. um, I always think of, you know, when women of color have been silenced and overpowered people in the LGBTQ community, it's like one more time, one more microaggression, one more time of not being believed and silenced so that it's not just that it's happening during this reproductive period is the first time, but it might have been, uh, you know, happened previously, happened previously, happened previously. So mm-hmm. yeah, we always have to be very thoughtful with our clients of that layering, you know? Yeah. I really think that's such an important point and understanding in part because I can think of a couple of clients just right off the top of my head who were sort of surprised that their past trauma was resurfacing during the reproductive period. Like either, oh, well, that happened a long time ago. Why is it impacting me now? Or that has nothing to do with this, or it seems like it has nothing to do with it. And that for sure, things can kind of come back up because of so many different reasons, but. Yes. And especially thematically, because to your (laughs) point, content wise, they might have nothing to do with each other, but theme wise and how it feels in your body, it might when this provider is not listening to you or you're feeling invalidated as hell or that you are the crazy one or that you are the sensitive one, your body sure remembers what that was like previously. So yeah, content wise, it might be completely different, but your body goes, oh yeah, here this is again. Mm -hmm. And so it turns the volume up in how that feels for you. So I always like to say to clients, please know that I want to validate that what you went through currently was hard period and would have been hard to anyone. And what you went through previously in your life earlier probably has just turned up the intensity and how it feels to you. So it's like that much more you know, sticky, that much more difficult for your, your body to be recovering from. That might be why you're saying to yourself, why can't I get over this? Why can't I 
put this behind me? Why can't I stop thinking about it at two in the morning? That might be why. Mm -hmm. Not that it's not hard right now. It is. It's that it's so familiar. Yeah, it becomes really, really, it feels like a tangled sort of a web. Yes. And feel really hard to see your way through that, to be feeling so many complex feelings about just right life right now. And then have these just injections of things from the past really, really are is so overwhelming. Yes, Um, especially at this time of life, because either you're just gotten handed a little human to take care of, or you're currently trying to conceive and trying to take care of yourself the best way you can, or mm -hmm. you're currently pregnant and trying to be cool, be cool, be cool. And Mm -hmm. right, like it's all, it's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. That brought up something in, in my mind that, that I would love to talk with you about and hear your thoughts on, which is the idea of triggers and mm. the word trigger even, and mm. how it, again, kind of touching back on trauma, how it's used and misused in a lot of ways. I've seen some you know, people again, like on social media who now feel sort of like triggered by the word trigger because it's been associated with so many warnings and like big, bold letters. And while I think it at least initially and still does come from a good place of kind Mm -hmm. of wanting to give people a heads up, there is a kind of a, a specific use of the word trigger when it's as related to trauma and PTSD. So if we can kind of start there. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that movement was such good intentions so that, gosh, it's so hard as we're scrolling, right? There's no way to buffer for ourselves. You're like, oh, puppy post. And then, oh, <laughs> whammo. Like, yeah. There's either some content that's really hard to see, or maybe it's like a political post. That you're like, oh, I wasn't in the mood for that or, right. you know, whatever. There's no way to kind of modulate for mm-hmm. ourselves and tend to ourselves. And so it can be helpful when there is that content warning. But to yeah. your point, when the word trigger might be either misused or when people are still trying to figure out what the heck is a trigger, even for me, what am I triggered by? Mm -hmm. I love this conversation because I don't think there's an all or nothing or a binary right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It's a great topic to talk about. Triggers truly in the, the actual nature of the word are when we are activated by something based on our traumatic history. So they might be known or unknown. An example of a known might be for someone who's experienced a loss or maybe a, a traumatic birth of driving by the hospital again. And you just might know, I'd prefer not to see that hospital because when I do, it gives me the gross feels I remember everything. I have a hard time not thinking about for a long time. It's really hard for me to come back down afterwards. I'd prefer to take the other highway and Mm -hmm. drive out of my way, even though it's 15 more minutes or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. that's what's known as a known trigger is that you feel it in your body. You have an emotional and physiological reaction and you know why, Mm-hmm. A not known trigger might be, and I've had so many examples of these throughout the years, but something that activates you and you might know not know until afterwards why your body responded as if you were still in danger. For some women after a traumatic birth experience, they cannot tolerate tight shirts because it reminds them of the blood pressure cuff Mm -hmm. or certain beeps like a microwave beeping might remind people of like the NICU beeping or the Mm -hmm. beeping in their delivery room or, Mm -hmm. you know, examples like that. Smells can sometimes be incredibly activating and triggering. But again, you might not know at the time putting two and two together. Oh, that smells just like the thing. It just might be that all of a sudden you have like on fire response. You want to get the hell out of there or freeze response. You feel absolutely paralyzed, terrified, and it might not be till afterwards that you're able to recognize what the heck was going on. Rage can sometimes be a big indicator that you're experiencing a trigger. Like you lash out at your partner and later you're like, well, that might've been an overblown reaction to the situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know why I would do that. But later you might be able to recognize, oh, I was feeling super overtouched right then or mm-hmm. overstimulated mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that felt similar, whatever. But that's a trigger. And really, it's, I'd like to explain that it's activation. It's Mm -hmm. feeling activated in your body, feeling activated, and the volume is turned up in your emotion. It's not that you are too sensitive or that you are reacting in an 
overly sensitive way. But to be real, it might be that that's not your usual, that you can be real with yourself later and go, well, that was not my normal response. So I'm curious. Let's get curious together. What was going on at the time? It can be incredibly shameful and feel confusing. It's later that can be useful to look back and kind of deconstruct that, demystify it. Yeah, absolutely. I do really appreciate the use of the word activated instead. And it's a word that I have also been in using more and more to explain it to people what's going on, right? Because I feel like it's a little bit more relatable too. Yes. It's a little more easy to associate with it. Like that is a a feeling that you can identify with as it comes up. And, uh, you know, it's still the same kind of idea. It's sort of in a way, it's great that people understand that trauma is a thing and being triggered is a thing. And also if something is triggering to you that doesn't like have that trigger warning or activating to you that doesn't have that warning, it doesn't mean that it, it wasn't or shouldn't have been. And then on the other side too, if there is a, a warning or a content notice or something like that on there, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to be triggered by it. Totally. Because that's that subjective idea, right? You might not even identify with the word trigger. You might not identify with the word trauma. Mm -hmm. And if you see somebody that is sharing, let's say a social media post, and it says something on there, a trigger warning or content warning, and you're able to watch it without anything going on in your body, does not mean that there's something wrong with you. That's Mm -hmm. the subjective nature of trauma. Right. It's that person's attempt to be very thoughtful and to not want to overwhelm others. Right. Which I do. I think it's a great thing for the very reason you said before that it's just yeah. like, it's like you're pulling a slot machine oh. <laughs> a thing. Every time you go on social media, like, oh, what are we going to get this time? And you just don't know. And even, yeah, I mean, for me, I've, I have that same experience on social media. I'm like just trying to same. look for videos to save to show my kids or whatever <laughs> later. And then, whoa, all of a sudden you're you're hit with this thing. Yeah, I think we've all had to learn and are still learning how to practice that mindful use of social media and Mm -hmm. not disassociate as we're doing it. And if we start numbing out or doing the Mm -hmm. like (laughs) numb scroll, that that would be a practice of like, okay, it's good to time out now and and get off. Because I think there is a level of numbing out that can happen in order to protect yourself from what's coming next, particularly when you've gone through something hard. Parents who have lost babies, for example, know all too well how hard that can be to scroll and see birth announcements or cute little babies. And Mm -hmm. there is only so much of curating your content that you can do. Something might pop in there. And yet being very aware of that dissociative kind of experience of just num, num, num. So Mm -hmm. it's good to be mindful and keep practicing that. I have to, too, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a constant thing. As soon as I start to feel myself, like feeling like slightly agitated, then I'm like, that's my sign. Totally. (laughs) I'm going to go and like, I will go and like play a game or something else. Like I'm all for some purposeful distraction, but man, it's hard for that stuff to not add to your, your overall mood. But anyways, so kind of coming back to impacts of trauma. You touched on it briefly before, but also if we can go back into the impact on partners and relationships and even your experience as a new parent, those are a lot of different things. But so let's start with what it could be like for partners and other relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Upwards of about one in three dads and same-sex partners can also go through trauma and PTSD symptoms because notice I'm using those differently because again, you don't have to have full PTSD in order to have experienced trauma Mm -hmm. throughout the perinatal period. And that includes going through infertility experiences, pregnancy complications, losses, even traumatic births, of course, even NICU experiences and postpartum complications. That also includes their partner's 
perinatal mental health, Mm. because that can be incredibly traumatic for partners to experience that helplessness, a fear of what their partner is going through. I've had some partners come to see me even years after their partner's postpartum psychosis. I've had also people themselves, women come to see me even decades after their postpartum psychosis experiences and, and processing through how traumatic that was for them. But yeah, for partners, oftentimes people aren't asking the partners how they're doing. They're not being screened for even just basic mental health symptoms, not to mention trauma symptoms. And uh, you've had so many great guests on about partners' mental health. Thank goodness. So I certainly would refer your mom and minders to those great episodes. But gosh, people just aren't typically, not just providers, but loved ones, Mm -hmm. sadly, aren't often asking dads and wives and partners what their experiences were like, how they're doing. And I think that's especially the case with trauma. We've seen a lot of studies about that. Men of color in particular often talk about how silenced they felt or how unincluded they felt during studies about like a traumatic birth, how they felt so pushed to the side Mm -hmm. and just that they were not involved and updated or involved even in what was going on with their babies. And so we know for sure that when partners do have PTSD and it isn't addressed that it can linger for years. Mm -hmm. And it's just so important if you have a couple in your life that had a baby recently that were just simply asking, hey, how are you doing too? Not just always asking about how the birthing person is, but asking how the partner is, asking what was the birth like for you? What was that experience like? Or even like, what was the pregnancy like for you? Because so much can come out during the storytelling, especially if there's that like, deer in the headlights kind of experience for them. Or if they just say like, oh, it's rough, mm-hmm. man, like it was just gnarly. Well, let's go deeper. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, not that I'm saying that to them, let's go deeper. Oh, right, <laughs> but, right. You know, that we can then take that as an indicator of it was rough for them. Like, let's be very thoughtful and aware that they've gone through something maybe right then might not be the best time, but let's keep in their lives. Let's keep asking. Let's let them know that we're here for them. Yeah, I think that there's so much disconnect before I've seen in this on social media too, about like, oh, let's say it's a male-female partnership and the mom gave birth, people will dismiss the father entirely and say, well, like you didn't give birth, you don't have the right to blah, 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 as if they have no feelings or are not present at all, or don't care about the person who is his like dealing with this horrific ordeal. I just think it's so unfortunate that partners experiences have been just cut out and they themselves have been so dismissed and it, and it's getting better, I think little by Mm -hmm. little, but it's still pretty prevalent that they're not, they're told they're not allowed to have feelings about it. Yes. Or openly mocked when Mm. they do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also is a both and that both things can be true because how often I'm just assuming, so check me if I'm wrong, but how often are we working with clients who in the processing of their traumatic experiences are also processing deeply held maybe resentments towards their partners that then were really coming to a crescendo during their birth. And, oh, he just stood there passive. But then what's so neat during the processing is that then maybe some compassion is able to be accessed or some awareness of what the partner was actually going through as they Mm. stood there paralyzed, that it wasn't that they didn't care or apathy, that it was actually that nobody was involving dad or Mm. that he wasn't, he didn't know how to help and he was terrified or, or Mm. whatever. I think that both things can be true, but the resentments absolutely can come up. Anger can come up. These things can come up Mm -hmm. that actually then can really linger and Mm -hmm. impact the relationship for a long time to come if it doesn't get addressed. Do you see that too? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel 
stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. I think there's an additional layer, too, for... I guess I see this more typically with male partners who who witnessed their female partner go through something that was traumatizing for the mom. Again, I'm thinking of a couple of examples just off the top of my head that of the male partner doesn't necessarily want to say that it was hard for them yeah. or like there's because of all of this other additional layers of socialization, it's yeah. sometimes not even f- feels okay for them to say that, yeah, that really yeah. messed me up. Yes. And then they themselves have layers of anger and yeah. their stuff is coming out all over the place. And like the relationship is impacted from both sides and yes, nobody understands each other. And it, it can get really, really complex. Yeah. And in your example, traumatized woman who's just given birth does not have the bandwidth to then be carrying her spouse. Hey, mm-hmm. how you doing? Mm-hmm. Are you traumatized? What can I do to take care of you? Most traumatized folks are themselves just trying to keep their head above water. And so I think that's why it's so helpful that we keep talking about this because mm-hmm. we as the collective village, whether we're the loved one in their life or whether we're the provider in their life, you know, do have a responsibility to be Mm -hmm. checking in because certainly it's not this couple who are floundering that only have the responsibility to be lifting each other up. Because yeah, to your point, how often are men, let's use men as an example, going to feel in the society safe to be like, hey, I really got traumatized Mm -hmm. and I'm feeling it and I'm struggling. There are certainly some communities where that might be the case, but I would say more often than not that that's not the case. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I guess, right. Assuming either one or or both people, either the birthing person or in, if there's a partnership with both people in the partnership, I mean, other family members can be impacted too. Yeah. um, Even if they weren't necessarily in the birth room, if they're hearing about it, if somebody's like going, you know, by ambulance or whatever, whatever the scenario is like, these are, can be really terrifying for even extended family members, grandparents or um, siblings. Secondary traumatization, what you're talking about is a real thing. And it can be super confusing if it's you yourself who went through the thing to then be hearing your mom talking about how traumatizing this was for her, maybe, Mm -hmm. or maybe she's not even using the word trauma, but she keeps talking about it. Or Mm -hmm. what I often find is one of the interesting kind of impacts of secondary traumatization is that this is often where those unhelpful messages will come from, where people are 
themselves so impacted that they loved ones are themselves so Mm -hmm. impacted that they will then want it to all be better. So they'll Mm -hmm. do those kind of toxic positivity messages of like, but you're fine now, (laughs) or at least those Mm -hmm. at least statements are my most unfavorite. (laughs) The the idea of like, at least you can get pregnant again, or at least the baby's fine now, or at least you're all home now, whatever the at least statement is, is just so invalidating. And it doesn't have to be that the person who's saying that themselves is distressed, but more often than not, I find that they're just trying to give these platitudes and these magic words to try to make Mm -hmm. it all better, not only for you, but for themselves too. And it doesn't work, but (laughs) that's the intent. (laughs) Yeah. Nice try. Nice try. Swing and a miss. Uh Yeah. Yeah, that's, that is really real. It's, I mean, look, it's really hard to deal with hard things. There is no doubt about that. And we are not trained up on how to do that. Mm. Really, as a society, not too much on how to deal with any number of difficult, complex, emotional things. Yeah. And, you know, maybe someday we'll all get there. But um, I think <laughs> no, you're um, so right. In like the grief? meantime, yeah, oh, grief. Yeah, oh, yeah. People say yeah. all kinds of weird stuff related yes, to grief. They do. And I think there is a lot of grief around reproductive trauma because mm-hmm. there is this continued expectation that things just go smoothly during this time. And so when they don't, that can be really hard for people to sit with. It can be hard for those of us who actually go through it mm-hmm. hard enough, mm-hmm. that grief, that secondary loss kind of feeling, but also hard for loved ones around to sit with mm-hmm. this idea that it wasn't just all roses. So I do totally agree with you that there's so much discomfort around the idea that it was anything less than perfect. So I'm going to use all my words to make it so. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> it doesn't work. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, these can have lasting impacts, obviously, like the sooner, you know, that something's going on and can get help for it, the sooner you can move through. I do want to touch on treatment options and and what can be done in just a moment. But before I forget, I also want people to go back and listen to that last episode that we did together around attachment and bonding. And even if you want to say something about it right now, that would be cool too, because attachment and bonding is also impacted throughout this. So yeah, now yeah. that I've gone full circle in my own head, <laughs> maybe say, say uh, something oh, about awesome. reproductive trauma and attachment and bonding, and then, and then we'll go back to treatment options. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that episode with you. That was so much fun. I could have talked about that seriously all day (laughs) for our 10 hour (laughs) podcast episode. (laughs) Yes. Attachment and bonding can be impacted by reproductive trauma. And this may sound silly to say, but how could it not with everything that you are going through, whether it be trauma early on during your perinatal journey, when trying to conceive or prior losses, pregnancy complications, when you are just trying to keep it all together to just get to the finish line, just get to the finish line, or that your birth was anything than what you'd expected it to be. And so awful. And now you are healing maybe even physically and emotionally from that. Mm -hmm. Or you have this postpartum complication that just really takes the knocks the wind out of your cells. And maybe you now have something pretty devastating to heal from that Mm -hmm. is so distracting and takes a lot of mental energy, not to mention maybe even going to PT and OT and you have pain and all the things. Right. How could it not have an impact on also this connection with this little baby? Mm -hmm. And I do love that you referenced our podcast episode on that, because the biggest thing I would say that I always love to share with people is bonding is a verb. It is always ongoing. And so even if you do feel a disconnect from your baby initially, because you were either very distracted with your own healing, with your own mental distress and everything you're going Mm -hmm. through, or frankly, this happens to some people after reproductive trauma is they might feel resentment towards Mm -hmm. their baby or the total opposite, or even like kind of shut down or the total opposite, this hypervigilant response where they're then maybe not attuned, their radar is off a little bit, 
it's always ongoing and changing and developing Mm -hmm. over time. So yes, it can be impacted. Yes, it changes over time. And Mm -hmm. especially with support, which you deserve, it can be guided and supported with the stronger attachment and a more secure, like quieter one, Mm. especially that hypervigilant parent, it can be really scary at first if it feels like everything is fear-based or Mm danger-based or Mm -hmm. nothing is safe, you know, it can be hard to just relax into parenthood. That's doesn't even feel possible at first. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know anything about that. Wink, wink. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Asking for a friend. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Not from a specifically PTSD perspective, but yeah, that hypervigilance with anxiety and then a little touch OCD there. But yeah, it can be really hard to connect because I, with whatever you're dealing with, whatever the, let's say, for lack of a better word, diagnosis or set of symptoms you're dealing with, I really feel like it's, it's sort of like the filter through which you, you are connecting with your child. So it's yeah. like that comes first. And then that's kind of how you see everything. It's like the bad rose colored glasses of, of stuff. That was an amazing quote. That is it. That is so <laughs> it. The filter of which that's so true. So if everything feels dangerous, then that's the connection. That's mm-hmm. everything is going to be colored by that. Diaper changes are going to mm-hmm. be that much more ah, intolerable. Mm-hmm. Wearing your baby or nursing is going to just be um, really scary. Are they eating enough? Oh my goodness. Are they, you know, thriving all the mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. we don't need to talk about content warnings. You know, it's really important what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a personal experience I had, but it's also something that I know that a lot of people do experience, but it's another one of those ways in, in which whatever we're, we're going through has us thinking and feeling a certain way about ourselves. It's not like yes. you're, you're like, yeah, I've got my PTSD glasses on and that's how I'm, I'm seeing everything. It just is what you're in. You're, you're in the yep. soup of it. And it's really hard Whole to world is colored. Right. Yep. Yeah. Including that interaction with the baby. Yeah. 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 That's why I always, in a way, normalize it. Mm. it. It's funny to say that, but that idea of how mm. could your connection yeah. with your baby not be impacted, mm-hmm. it will be at mm-hmm. some level. So mm-hmm. it will continue to change, you know? Right. And I think it's so important. I know for sure that you said this on that, that episode around attachment and bonding is that it's not, I, I feel like well, I know for sure that when people hear things like what we're talking about, like PTSD and depression and anxiety and whatnot could impact your bonding to your baby. It doesn't mean that it's going to be that way forever. It doesn't mean that you can't ever like get to the point where you want to get, or that your relationship is impacted um, negatively forever. There is space for healing and feeling the connection that you want. And that is in a lot of ways, where treatment and therapy and whatnot can be really helpful. Yes. Yes. I love that you mentioned that it is not a forever thing. It can always be addressed and encouraged and grow. And also that it's again, never, ever, 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 ever too late Mm -hmm. ever. Right. So uh, going back to the idea of treatment options, what are some things um, therapy wise, or even things that you are talking about in your book that people can do or attend to or think about in their own healing journey. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. And that's actually why I was so interested in writing this book is recognizing that again, not everybody identifies that what they went through was traumatic. They just might know they are off, they're crashing and burning, they're activated, whatever the case may be. So I wanted there to be a place to help kind of connect the dots for folks and have this like chock full of a place that's chock full of skills for them to learn, to be able to manage what are trauma responses, even identifying what is a trauma response. So breath work can be really important, especially as like a busy healing new parent. You don't have time to go to a retreat or to um, go to a healing center. I mean, some people do, Mm -hmm. but more often than not, you're super duper busy. And yet you might be going through your life in this very activated way the hypervigilance like we were talking about, or your sleep might be impacted, you might be feeling rageful and irritable. Mm -hmm. Um, And so learning how to do even just some breath, slow breath check ins throughout the day can be one, 
small but very powerful way of learning how to slowly tune back into your body. For Mm -hmm. so many trauma survivors, their body no longer feels like home. Their body Mm -hmm. no longer feels safe. And Mm -hmm. so part of trauma work is helping people learn how to return back home to themselves in slow but uh, attainable ways. Mm -hmm. And slow breath skills are one way of doing that. So other skills can be even just like mindful stretching. And we're talking, by the way, when I'm talking like slow breath work or mindful stretching, like 30 seconds, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about, because who has the luxury of time as a pregnant or new parent? It's more just doing these things when you're feeling really activated. So if you're nursing, for example, and that tends to be a pretty activating time or a time that you do the opposite, start noticing that you're kind of floating away and that you really hate that time that that can be a time where you start bringing in some mindful stretching your fingers and toes so that you're noticing like, here I am right here in present. It's Mm -hmm. This is a hard time for me, but I'm right here in present. Or I also teach something called the five senses where you're noticing things that you're seeing and hearing and feeling in your environment, smelling, tasting, Mm -hmm. really helping ground yourself back to the present. Those are helpful skills when you are kind of dissociating, floating Mm -hmm. away, not um, comfortable in your own skin. Mm -hmm. So treatment for trauma typically looks like actually processing what happened, happened to you, like EMDR therapy, what we've talked about before in here, Mm -hmm. eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing therapy. But it can also look like even just, again, body mind skills to learn how to tune back into your body in Mm -hmm. safe ways. There's so many different ways of doing this. There's no one size fits all. Some people will find that medication is beneficial for them, especially when they are activated and their symptoms are impacting their functioning, mm-hmm. especially if appetite is impacted, sleep is impacted. It can be important as always to see a provider who specializes in pregnant and postpartum people. So that numerous. would be ideal. Yeah. Yes. Always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're working on building the the force up so that there are enough providers um, who, who can see everyone who needs it. But yeah, for some people, it is hard to get to a provider or afford a provider. So even more important to have books like yours that mm-hmm. people can have and refer back to it as often as needed. Yeah. That's why I was so passionate about writing these two books, frankly, is that I recognize not everyone can afford therapy. Mm-hmm. Not everyone even has access to therapy with people who specialize in this mm-hmm period of time, or not everybody wants to go to therapy. And so there can be benefit from even just learning some of these things about ourselves and learning even just a handful of Mm -hmm. skills to be able to manage it. When it comes to trauma, there is great benefit from working with a trained professional because so often these symptoms can linger untreated. However, again, even just some basic mind-body skills can be really beneficial to just cope, (laughs) just even come back to the present, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And then support groups. Support groups can be really beneficial for people who are healing from reproductive trauma. Not everyone loves a support group. Some people, frankly, can get activated from hearing other people's stories. Sometimes Trauma support groups in particular are more skill-based than they are process-oriented, meaning that there can be, especially if they're professionally led, uh, there can be more structure so that there can be that thoughtfulness around ensuring that people aren't being, you know, really activated from hearing other stories and and they're going purposefully to learn skills to manage Mm -hmm. what they're going through. But Mm -hmm. some people find support groups really helpful as well. So, you know, of course, we're not covering all the things, just kind of touching it. But I do just always want to say to people, trauma is, trauma responses, I should say, are temporary and treatable, just like all the perinatal mental health disorders. And so it is important to find help in whatever way works for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for spending so much time with me here and and going through this. Um, Just really value you and your work and what you do and this book that you're putting out into the world. It's just so helpful for people to have 
this resource available. So thanks. Thank you. It's always, always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you, lady. Please do go back and listen to those episodes with Beth, episode 15 on postpartum OCD, 107 on EMDR and perinatal mental health, and 216, understanding attachment and bonding. And if you already have Mom and Mind downloaded or you're already following Mom and Mind on your favorite podcast platform, you can just use the search bar and find those episodes. To get connected with Beth, go to at Bethany Warren LCSW on Instagram and on her website, BethanyWarrenLCSW.com. I would love for you to share this episode and follow along on social media at Mom and Mind Podcast on Instagram and on threads. Liking and following the social media accounts and listening to this podcast is the best way to support this work. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not gonna tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.